can be seated today. Thank you. Thank you, band, as always. Wonderful family. Thank you so much. Hey, why don't we just pray before we uh, come to the Word of God together as we come to part two of this series uh, this morning. Would you, would you join me in praying? Holy Spirit, we ask now for you to come and illuminate your word. Come and illuminate your word to our hearts. Let this be about what you have to say. Let this be about the truth of your scripture. And we ask King Jesus that you will be seen through your word. Bless it to our bodies. Let it mark us. Let it shape us. And let it do something significant within us as we look to be part of the ecclesia that you are building. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, If you're uh, new here, it's your first week or first few weeks, as well as those online. Uh, My name's Sean. I'm part of the team here. And last week, we uh, started a new series uh, entitled The Ecclesia, which has just come up uh, behind me. And I'll give you a quick little recap if you weren't involved in last week's uh, sermon or session uh, before we continue uh, with this week's session. Really excited. What effectively we looked at last week is we looked at the phrase that many of you will heard, especially if you're used to church, uh, that Jesus gave to his disciples that said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not... Ah, come on, you guys are proper Christians. Um, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And that word church there in uh, that verse in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus used to his disciples was the Greek word ecclesia. And when we see church in the New Testament, it's from this Greek word ecclesia. And we looked at the definition of ecclesia. It's a distinctly non-religious word that Jesus used intentionally to show us that which he was building when he was building the church. And the quote or the phrase that we attach to the Greek word ecclesia is defined like this, the set apart people of God called to make governing decisions under God's authority here on earth. That is the ecclesia that Jesus set out to build when he said that I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So in order for us to get a good understanding of this ecclesia that Jesus started to build, we went to Acts chapter 2, and we looked at the first pictures we have of the ecclesia being built and being established. We looked at the first few verses in the scripture that we see of this early church starting to burst forth, starting to grow, starting to be established by the power of the influence of the Holy Spirit and by the leading of Jesus. And we looked at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And Luke wrote these words. He also wrote the gospel of Luke. And he's a very scholarly man, a very intelligent man. And he does something particular within this text. He shows us four core principles or pillars of the early church, of the ecclesia. And those four things are uh, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and of prayer. And then from verse 43 through to 47, he then goes on to tell us what will happen if we put into these uh, practice into these principles. If you go back to the last slide there, Reuben. We see that if we are focused as the ecclesia on the word, we will be filled with awe. How many people that won't know that when you spend time in the word of God, the awe of Jesus starts to rise in your hearts? 
You start to see a picture of him more. You start to hear him more. You start to sense his personality, his ways more. You hear his voice more. And Luke is clearly saying that if you, as the ecclesia, as the body, as the church, spend time in his word, not just once a week, but a devotion to, as it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, you will be filled with the awe of Jesus. He then goes on to speak about fellowship. And then in verse 44, last week we spoke about that when we are fellowship, when we do life together, the byproduct of that, the overflow of us learning to love one another, is that we will become radically generous. And the reason why we become radically generous is because the more time we spend with one another, the more time we will see the generosity of Jesus living through one another to impact our lives, which will then overflow for us being impacting in generosity towards other people. So we looked at the first two last week, and today we're going to look at the, the second two there, which is the breaking of bread looking towards devoted communities and prayer looking towards mission and salvation. The Lord is building his church, amen? He is building his church. The Lord is building his church. It is not a pastor that builds the church. It is not a prophet that builds the church. It is not a teacher that builds the church. It is the Lord who builds his church. It's his church. He's the leader of it, the owner of it, the builder of it. And he is the one navigating these tricky times, leading the church through darkness to be a glorious light, to show people that the church, the ecclesia of God, is still being built. It is still being established. And it is still going forth with the same mission of Jesus from Acts chapter 2 to 2021 today, here as the global ecclesia starts to move forward. So in verse 42, Luke writes these words, this, this, the final two, that the ecclesia started to devote themselves to the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. That was one of the core pillars of the early church, that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, when we hear the breaking of bread, we of course go immediately to what we have just done this morning. We do every week, and we do on part of our daily rhythms every single day, we've been doing that for many months now, which is communion. We take communion as a church online together most mornings, and it's been wonderful throughout the pandemic to just see the church coming together every single morning. Loads of people involved in the reminding ourselves of the breaking of the body of Jesus to taking the juice and reminding ourselves of his blood and being reminded daily of what he did and what he accomplished on the cross. But when we hear the devotion to the breaking of bread in Acts chapter 2, it's important to note that it wasn't just communion. That actually what they were devoting themselves to was a full meal. How many people like food? This is my favorite point out of the four. Like, there's, there's no doubts about it. Um, this was the church, the early church, the ecclesia, saying that one of the things that was a prime principle... An important part of living in community, an important part of being the body of Jesus Christ is that we would enjoy good and glorious food together. Amen and hallelujah, Shekinah glory coming down. It would mean that they would daily, a devotion daily, to spending time in each other's presence that cannot be accomplished within the temple courts. That there would be a depth towards their communication and a depth towards their idea of what it meant to be adopted into the family of Jesus Christ. That there would be a depth towards the language they would use to each other. The focus towards one another. That this breaking of bread was far more than just simply taking the cup and taking the bread as much as we do this. That is just the starting point of that which has happened here. We often, uh, in times, uh, my own life, we tally up fellowship to being something that is often secluded again within the church walls. And if we were to do that, 
say we were to have an average conversation on a Sunday morning with someone else in this room that averaged around five minutes a morning, which in itself, in the busyness, especially now within the pandemic world, is an accomplishment in itself, right? That we would manage to have five-minute conversation with someone else about their week, what was going on, or whatever. If we was to do that, and that was our understanding of fellowship and of doing life together, that would equate to 20 minutes a month and only four hours a year. Four hours a year of fellowship and of depth. And sometimes we read the scriptures, and in our practice, that is what we see to be uh, the equation of a devoted community. That we would have four hours a year of conversation with one another. Some of us have experienced that to be what community looks like. And I want to suggest to you today that the Ecclesia has so much more to offer than that. I want to suggest to you today that the call of Jesus to be part of building his church is far greater and more extensive than five minutes a week or four hours a year. We live in a society that is based on preference, but within the scripture, we see a church that is based upon commitment. And in a society that drills individualism into our lives, it is difficult to navigate the calls towards a radical commitment to the building of Jesus' church. But that is exactly what he does. The ecclesia is meant to be designed towards community, to be at one with God, but also to be at one with one another. And I believe there's a call upon the church right now to start to grow, and this is not just Rediscover Church, this is now the global ecclesia, the global church, to grow in a depth of deep-rooted community towards one another. Let me show you something I saw um, a pastor called John Tyson unravel in one of his sermons recently. And uh, he didn't give it a name, but I'm going to give it a name. And the name that I'm going to give it is the Pathway Towards Devoted Communities. And this is something that happens every time we join a church, we uh, come to a body of Christ, we join the ecclesia. These four hurdles, these four stages take place in people's lives. And I have experienced this in my own life. I have failed at this in my own life. I've got this wrong time and time again. And I'm hoping my learning from this will, will just hopefully highlight some things towards the depth of what the early church looked like in regards to its commitment to a devoted community. When we join the Ecclesia, we are filled with excitement. Like we join a church or a, a body of people and if, I don't know what your style is. Your style of church may be different to what my preferences are. But for me as a young person, specifically when I was growing up, it was like good band, good preacher. The preacher only preaches for 20, 15 minutes. Good food afterwards. Good teas and coffees. The coffee's got to be good, right? And if we experience these things, we walk into a building, the, the welcome's good. The experience is high. It's like, oh my goodness, this is like heaven on earth. The excitement hits us, and for the first few weeks or few months, we are like jumping over this hurdle. Like, it, it's just incredible. This place is amazing. There's not a bad person in the room. Everyone's like Jesus. They imitate Jesus, and there's no squabbling or difficulties within this being. It's just pure excitement. And we do this for a few months, and then, of course, what happens? We hit the second hurdle, and I know by the laughter, we've already got people that have hit this hurdle, and the hurdle is disillusionment. We come crashing towards this second hurdle, and suddenly we start to realize that maybe this gathering of people is not all that we thought it was. Can I say that here in church? Amen. 
that we hit this second hurdle of disillusionment and we realize that the, today I'm not speaking on to keys, I love you guys, sometimes they do sing out of key. Oh my goodness. Sometimes the preacher does preach really badly and it goes on for 15 minutes. I'm praying it doesn't happen today. Sometimes we do have to sit next to that person that we just think, I'd rather be sitting next to someone else. Can we be honest in the room? And we hit the hurdle of disillusionment. This often happens within the first six months of being part and committed to a church family. If we can break through that hurdle, we get to the hurdle of recognition. And recognition is coming to an honest reality that the church is built up of broken people. That in this place right now where you are sat, the people sat to your left and sat to your right, there is brokenness in them. They have a sinful nature that they adopted through Genesis 3 in the fall. And they are trying their best to live in the identity that Jesus has given them to become more clean and to be more whole and to be more pure. But it's a process. We all know that because we still make mistakes. And we come to a place of the hurdle of recognition. We go, okay. We're understanding now that community is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes hard. It's not always easy. Sometimes we have to commit with gritted teeth at times, but we commit. And we come to a place of recognition. And then from that, at the end of it, is the place where we should arrive. It's the place that our destiny is upon us, upon a community, and it is biblical love. Biblical love is the landmark and hallmark of a devoted community. John chapter 17, Jesus gathered his disciples and he said, if you love one another like I love you, the world will know of my love. Jesus intrinsically links our love towards one another to the mission and evangelizing of the world. And he literally speaks about biblical love is the purest definition of what a devoted community love likes. It's not a love that comes and goes. It's not a love that feels it one day and then feels it another day. It's not a love that only sings the songs if it's their favorite songs. It's a love that goes through and past preference. It goes through and past disillusionment. And it stands strong and says, you know what? Even in place of all the brokenness that surrounds me, even with the hurts, even with the frustrations, I have a Jesus who loves me so much that he died on the cross for me, that he set me free and he lives liberated me to live a new and full life. From that place, we find a devoted community. Here's what happens though, and here's what's happened in my own life. We get stuck on hurdle two, don't we? We get stuck on disillusionment. And instead of pushing through this hurdle, we stop there. And I have been in a place where for years and years and years, I have just sat on that hurdle. And when we sit on that hurdle, we become frustrated. We become bitter towards the brokenness of the church. We start to be offended by the church. We get frustrated at the brokenness of people that resides within the walls of the church, and we sit on this hurdle of disillusionment. We sit on this place, and we never reach our destination, which is biblical love and devoted communities. How do we get past disillusionment? And this, by the way, isn't in parallel to where there is abuse or things like that taking place in the church. It doesn't mean that. This, this is in a community of broken people that are navigating the ways of Jesus. This isn't in, a, uh, in reference to where there is toxic leadership or bad leadership. This is a community of ecclesia that is genuinely seeking and pursuing Jesus' reverence of God. And they get stuck on this hurdle of disillusionment. How do they 
move past it. Well, I want to give you just one simple note that I believe will help you towards navigating the ecclesia if you are or have been stuck on this hurdle of disillusionment. The place where we start is to take our focus off the broken people around us and to turn our focus onto the perfection of Jesus. That's where we start. We start to go, I'm part of the problem. We don't like to look at it that way because we're often too busy looking at other people's sins. But perhaps there's people sat around us that I'm the one people don't want to be sat next to. I'm part of the difficulty here because all of us in here have fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one person that doesn't struggle, that hasn't sinned, and that doesn't still trip up. But there is one person who by the blood of his life, we are all gathered around simultaneously saying, he's the one I want. He's the one I'm here for. He's the one who unites us. He's the one who brings us together. And I don't want the church to see more of me. I want, to, I want the church to see more of Jesus. I don't want the world to see more of me. I want the world to see the more of Jesus. And as we start to recognize, to recognize that we can actually do life with one another. Here we go. This is radical. Whilst disagreeing with one another. Oh, he said it. Oh, my goodness. He's gone there. Like, like we, we, can, we can do community together whilst voting for different political parties. Oh, my goodness. He said it again. We can learn the art of doing life together and still loving the people that we often find unlivable. And for some of you, you might be looking at the person speaking and thinking that's him. We can become inclusive towards those who are broken and hurting and still adopt the nature of Jesus within their broken and hurtingness. We can be less, less about control and more about love. You know, if our theology doesn't make us love one another more, our theology at some point has gone off track. Because theology is simply just the study of God. And let me tell you, the more you study God, the more you'll want to love him and love people. Theology isn't about having the right dogma or having the right verses or having the right apologetics that flow off your lips. Theology, first and foremost, is learning the art of loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul and then going on to love other people. I believe the call of the church right now is to start adopting that nature to a whole new degree. That we would start to love one another amidst the sin and brokenness that still sometimes pots and shows his head. That love isn't defined just by the agreement of all the ways of someone's life, but love is defined by holding our truths and our opinions without allowing those truths and opinions to be an exclusive block towards the person of Jesus Christ. That we can still have beliefs and opinions and thoughts, but we can still exist with people that may have different beliefs and thoughts and opinions. Because at the end of the day, I'm just interpreting this Bible, this word, from my broken and, and sinful self myself. I, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus is Jesus. And if we focus on Jesus, if we allow him to come into the community, if we allow him to walk amongst us, and we become devoted to that which he is building in the ecclesia, the failings of other people won't cause us to fail in anger or frustration. The failings of other people and the failings of ourselves will just push us more and more and more towards the grace of Jesus, towards the grace of the leader, towards the grace of the builder. That we can become a devoted people. 
We see this happen uh, within church. Uh, when this starts to happen, when we start to become a devoted community, when we start to uh, overlook the failings of people and see the perfection and beauty of Jesus Christ, here's what starts to take place. We become what I call, this is classic, you'll get the uh, creativity of this. We become a 1 Peter 2.9 people. See what I did there? That's great. 1 Peter 2.9 literally says, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, when we start to do life together, when we start to have food together, when we start to enjoy each other's presence more, when we start to love one another, when we become more radically generous towards one another, when we start to live in community together as the ecclesia was built to live in community together, this is who we become. This isn't just something we do. This is something we are. This isn't just something that we muster up in our own strength. This is something that Jesus bestows upon us. We become a chosen people. I want to remind you this morning, no matter what the enemy has been whispering in your ear all week or month or all year, you have been chosen by God. There is a calling of God that rests on your life to be a chosen person. You are set apart and distinct, part of the body, the ecclesia that he is building. You are a chosen people. You're not a rejected person. You're not an angry person or a frustrated person. You're not defined by your work or your job career or what you do. You are defined by the fact that God has said, I am choosing you so much that I will go to the cross and die for you. That is a specific type of chosen. You are called by God. You become a royal priesthood. This is my favorite part because we often just emphasize the priesthood part of the ecclesia, but there's something special that happens before that, your royalty. When we come into the presence of God, when we stepped into the identity that Jesus placed on our lives, you are not just changed from a ragamuffin human being that just starts to walk life and hopes that they get better. You are adopted into his royalty. You are seen as a son and daughter of the most high king, the king of all kings, the leader of all people. We are called into the royalty, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, so we can do what? We can walk with authority. We can shift atmospheres. We can be the priesthood of all believers. Priests aren't just the chosen few. The priesthood is the ecclesia. It's the church. He's called you to be a priest. Some of you are looking at me thinking, I hope I don't have to change my, my career here. He has called you to be a priest. Wherever you work, wherever you do life, whatever your normality looks like this season, there is a calling upon your life in those environments to be part of his priesthood to minister, to, to shift atmospheres, to be a person of hope, love, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, to adopt the fruit of the Spirit. And then he goes on to speak about us being a holy nation. It says set apart people. That's what the holy nation literally means, which is the definition, again, of the ecclesia, reaffirming that we are the body of Christ, the family of God, the church of God. And then it speaks about God's special possession. You are... God's special possession. What happens to our special possessions? We protect them. We look after them. We care for them. We believe in them. It becomes part of the attention of our eye. That is who you are to God. His special possession. The one who he looks after every single day. The one who he cares for so much. The apple of his eye. 
You've been called to be part of God's special possession. We have been called towards being a devoted community. God's chosen people. Band, if you would join me up on the stage, that would be fantastic. Secondly, we're called to prayer. And the, the devotion towards prayer, they devoted themselves towards prayer. Verse 47 tells us what happens when we do that. When we devote ourselves towards prayer, the Lord will add to their number daily those who are being saved. Who would love to see more salvation happen around their lives? Just 50% of us would want that, hey? Want to see more salvation breaking through around your friends, your family, your neighborhoods, your people, your work colleagues? We know where it starts, right? It starts with prayer. Prayer is at the heart of the ecclesia. That's a statement that's easy to believe but often difficult to adopt. I want to make something really clear today as, as part of the team and as part of this church family. We are a church of prayer, amen? We're a church of prayer. We are a church that prioritizes the need and desire to grow in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. This, when we pray, it's not just a hope or a wish, but as the ecclesia, as the true believers, we believe prayer changes things, amen? Prayer changes things in our lives. Prayer changes things around us. Prayer changes the environment around us, but it also changes the environment inside of us. Prayer makes a difference in the believer's life. Prayer makes a difference in your life, and it makes a difference in my life. We are a praying church. Some of us in this room have had miracles happen because of prayer. Some of us look back over our lives, and what looks once to be coincidence, we now start to relate and realize that it wasn't coincidence at all. It was always to do with prayer. Some of us are here in this church, part of the body of Christ, because we have lived under praying parents. We have lived under praying grandparents. We know people that have surrounded us with faithful prayers every single day. Go, no matter where you go in life, I'm going to pray for you. You know, that's the commitment of our lives. That's the commitment of the ecclesia. That we wouldn't just pray for the blessings on our lives, but we would pray for the love and protection and growth and well-being of those sat next to us. For some of us, there's going to be a call in the next few weeks to start praying, as we did a few weeks ago, for every single name that's part of our church. For some of us, new prayer lists are going to pop out of nowhere as the Lord starts to lead us to a new place of dynamic prayer because prayer changes things. Prayer moves us from a, a place of self-reliance to God-resilience. It shifts us to a place of believing that the impossible can be achieved, it can be attained. Because prayer isn't navigated through the power of my voice. Prayer is navigated by the one who is hearing my voice. The one who can respond to my voice. The one who says that whatever you ask in my name, it shall be given to you. That's the one who navigates the life of prayer. That's the one that we are called to. Here's a quote from Sam Albury. He says this on prayer. Prayer is not the flare gun of the desperate. It's not the flare gun of the desperate or the room service for the indulgent. Prayer is the confidence of the adopted. It's the confidence of the adopted that we would become so assured in what the Lord is building that our prayers wouldn't just start from a human fleshly eyesight, but it would start from a heavenly ordained perspective that we can see heaven coming here to Exeter, to Devon, to shift and to change things. That we would become devoted 
to prayer. I expect the, the church of the future to pray prayers that are dangerous in declaration and bold in exploration. Expect the church of the future to pray prayers that increase in faith and decrease in self-centeredness. Expect the church of the future not just to pray prayers with words, but to pray prayers that are lived out in their lives. Acts 4.28, the disciples were doing the works of Jesus. A few chapters after Pentecost, the ecclesia was being built. And they were going around and they were living out their prayers. They were living out boldness and courage. They were seeing things take place. Signs and wonders were breaking out everywhere they went. Not just within a church building, but out in their communities. Out in their workplace, out in their towns and their cities. Miracles were popping off everywhere because Jesus was building his church. And here's what happened. The religious leaders didn't like it. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 through to 12, you see the religious leaders gathering together and they start to conspire together about how we can stop this movement of the church. How can we stand in the way of this ecclesia? How can we stand in the way of this body, this family, this people that Jesus has been speaking about for years and years and years? How can we stand in the way of this movement of God that is shifting things, moving things, discipling people, growing, expanding, loving generously, being radical in its nature, going above and beyond? How can we stop it? And here's what the disciples prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats. We've heard them. We know it's happening. We feel that our backs up are against the wall right now. And here's what they pray. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not to retreat. Not to hide. Not to come within our buildings. But give us more boldness. Advance us more. Push us more. Light a fire in our souls more. Let us flow with the Holy Spirit like the church was meant to be. Let us go in the passion of Jesus. Let's live out a life like he called us to. Give us more boldness. And then he says this, stretch out your hands to heal and to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant that is Jesus that we live for. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they did what? They spoke the word of God boldly. The result of healthy prayer will always be a healthy church. Their backs up against the wall. The problems and tensions and difficulties of life, and we've certainly had that over the last few months. It wasn't an opportunity for retreat. It was an invitation to advance. Here's what I'll end with. What if the last few months have not been purpose, retreat, or safety? But it has been an invitation towards advancement from Jesus as he builds his church. What if this moment isn't a moment of depletion, but this is a moment of strengthening? Perhaps that which looks like dwindling in weakness in the eyes of the world could look like pruning and strengthening in the eyes of the kingdom. What if the Lord is inviting his church, his people, his ecclesia back towards their roots? What if the last few months he is building us the word of God? He's been strengthening fellowship. He has been basing us around communion and he has been lifting us in prayer. What if the last few months God has been building his church and we have been partially blinded to it? I don't know what the future of the, the years look like. I don't know what our life looks like in the coming years. But I do know what the future of the church looks like. It always has been. It always will be. And right to this day, it will look like King Jesus building his church. Would you stand with me, church?
come on, just before I, I hand back to, to the band and Mark, would you just stretch out your hands to heaven? They prayed for great boldness, and when they prayed for it, the Holy Spirit came and started to shake people up. It started to shake their hearts, shake their veins, shake their thoughts, shake their perspective, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of building His church, for the purpose of boldness, for the purpose of moving forward with great power and great strength and great courage. And let us pray in this moment. This won't just be another moment where we get excited. This won't be a moment where we are disillusioned in a few months. This won't be a moment of just recognition, but this will be a moment where we say, Jesus, we are committed to the building of your church. Jesus, we are committed to advancing the gospel. Jesus, we are committed, whatever it takes, whatever it takes in my life, I lay it down and I surrender it. And I say, it's all yours anyway. I want you, I want you, I want you in my life. I want you to be the builder. I want you to use me as a broken person to be part of the building of your spiritual house, your glory house, the place that you are using right now to be a mission tool into the world. Build us up, church. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let boldness and courage come upon your people once again. And let us restore and reform that which you have been doing and building in our lives. We commit this word to you. We commit this space to you. And we declare together as a family, this is your church. Say it with me. This is your church. This is your church. This is your house. This is your place. It belongs to you. It always has done and it always will do. And we commit to being devoted towards the ecclesia of God, the called out ones. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.